0: So we, we very intentionally align our internal communications around the, the pillars of our vision because I think it's really important to help people throughout the organization, even just in that sort of internal communication process, understand how it fits together.
1: Welcome to the Inspire podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, president and CEO of the Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. My guest on today's episode of the Inspire podcast is Robin Sylvester, President and Chief Executive Officer of the Vancouver Fraser Port Authority. I first met Robin back in 2009 when we were new Vancouverites. I just moved there to open the Humphrey Group's office and Robin had moved there to take on the CEO role at the port. And over the years, as we got to know each other better, I really came to understand that not only was Robin passionately committed to the region Uh, from an economic development standpoint, but equally committed to the environment and to sustainability. Last summer we were uh, riding our bikes together up Mount Cypress and Robin shared with me that he was thrilled that the vision of the port had taken shape through a collaborative process and that that vision was deeply grounded in his commitment to sustainability and I decided then that I would have him on the podcast to talk about how he went through the process of developing that vision, what it took to bring a really diverse set of stakeholders to the table, and once they had the vision, how they set out to communicate it within the region. I'm thrilled to have Robin on, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with him today. Robin, welcome. Hi there. Good to be with you. Good to have you on. We've known each other for about a decade, I believe. Staggering, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, t- time flies. And congratulations, by the way, on becoming a Canadian citizen just recently,
0: wasn't it? Thank you. Yes, it was last August. I'm I'm very proud to have achieved that milestone.
1: We're happy to have you. And, and I know uh, Vancouver in, is happy to have you. You've, um, for those who don't know Robin, you are the CEO of the Vancouver Fraser Port Authority. And uh, you've been with the organization for some time. And so perhaps you can uh, briefly tell us about you know, how long you've been with the port and uh, what your role
0: is. Sure. Well, I've been with the organization as CEO for just around nine years now. So I guess that pretty much that decade that you and I've known each other. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's a fascinating fascinating role and a fascinating organization. Um, I really enjoy having the opportunity to, to lead this organization. So we're the federal authority that sort of sits at the heart of the port of Vancouver. We're in, in many ways the sort of the, the facilitator, landlord, developer of the port and our mandate really is to enable Canada's trade but to do so ensuring protection of the environment and consideration of the wishes of the community and to do so maintaining the competitiveness of the port being financially self-sufficient. So it's a really meaningful role. I mean I like to think we're doing a reasonably good job of it. We're making some good progress on some important things and they're things that matter to Canada as a trading nation.
1: Well, they must think you're doing a good job if they've kept you there for nine years. And I know, you know, all, all joking aside, you've, you've presided over and uh, been part of quite a bit of growth in the port during that time, haven't you?
0: We've seen a lot of growth. And I mean, of course, we're fortunate by virtue of geography, where, I mean, Canada is is a large country. If you like, the economic center of gravity of the world around us has probably shifted over the last sort of century or so from being east of us to being west of us. And we are by far the biggest port. We're one of only two major ports on the west coast of Canada. We're by far the biggest one. In fact, we're the largest export tonnage port in the whole of North America. And if you look at the sort of ports in Canada, you need to add up the next five in terms of tonnage terms to get to the the amount of trade that moves through this port here so I mean, the geography and the sort of the trading relationships and their growth help us significantly. But I think we've also, we have, along with a lot of other stakeholders in the port, done a good job of creating capacity to enable that trade growth and doing it in a sort of a, a competitive, cost-efficient way. And I, I'm also very proud to say that I think I'm doing it in a way that is, is protecting and enhancing the environment mm-hmm. that we're, we're part of. And that's why so many people, myself included, have sort of choose Vancouver as a place to live.
1: Yeah, and I, you know when I lived in Vancouver for five years, my office actually looked out over the port, and, you know it's this beehive of activity. And I think what got me really excited about having you on the Inspire podcast is, of course, there's all the economic activity that happens at the port. But as you've alluded to, it's really your vision as a port, which you know is not perhaps the first thing that you'd think of when you think of a port to be the world's most sustainable port. Struck me because it struck me as, as you said, as an organization that's focused on enabling trade in Canada. To choose that as your vision statement, I thought, is a worthwhile topic of conversation, not only for listeners who might be curious about how you go through the process of developing that vision and ultimately selling it, but also for anyone who has to get involved in crafting a vision as you do with organizations and stakeholders who are not part of your, in this case, uh, your uh, your organizational structure. So. I thought we could turn to Vision. And tell me a bit about the Vision and uh, when you created it.
0: I mean, I think the first thing that I have to say about the vision, which is, is something that's it's really important, is whenever we say our vision is to be the world's most sustainable port or whenever we write that, we also write with that the headlines of how we define sustainability. So we want to be the world's most sustainable port, but by sustainability, we mean the balance between economic prosperity through trade, a healthy environment, and thriving communities. So in all three of those dimensions. Hmm. And that's really important because sustainability is a – a widely used word. And as we started through this process some years ago, I'll describe it in a bit more detail, we realized that we needed to define what we meant by sustainability because everybody we talked to had a slightly different view of what sustainability is.
1: Now, take us through the creation. What I mean, what made you realize, first of all, that you even needed a vision?
0: If I'm completely honest, I came to the organization without having worked in an organization that had really successfully crafted a vision statement that was meaningful. And so if I'm honest, I was a little skeptical. I, was, I, was a, yeah. I wasn't a, a strong advocate of vision statements or a vision acolyte, if you like. But I, what I've learned through the process we've been through over this, this nine-year period is that if you, if you get it right, it can actually be really meaningful. And I, I, that is where I think we've got to now. So, so gone, it actually started. I, so
1: you've gone from just so yeah. I, I'm capturing this. You've gone from a, someone suspicious of vision to being a believer through this process. It,
0: that's right. Somewhere along, somewhere along this sort of this nine path, there's been a Damascene conversion. So I, I right. sort of, I, I, <laughs> I, I wasn't entirely sceptical, but I certainly wasn't an ardent advocate. Right. And I, I think I've now reached a stage where I think for us as an organisation, this vision really encapsulates what we want to be, and it really is something that we can kind of line around and strive okay. towards. And that's I think what a vision should be. So, yes, I, I've absolutely sort of come through that that conversion and recognized significant value in it. Reflecting back to where the process started, it didn't actually start from wanting to have a new vision statement. It started in a different place. It started um, right back when I joined in conversations I was having with the board and with the executive team and and folks throughout the organization, and we were talking about wanting to sort of plan for the future and find a better framework to define our strategy within. And we settled on doing a scenario planning exercise, which we called Port 2050. This was back in 2010, and this was sort of trying to therefore cast forward 40 years for what we see for the future. And we very deliberately chose scenario planning because the attraction of scenario planning is, of course, you're not trying to define a single point forecast of the future, but you're actually trying to understand what the levers that will shape the future are and what different futures might look like depending on how those levers move. And for us, sitting in the middle of a complex system of many stakeholders with differing goals, I mean, we have business stakeholders who are critical to the success of the port, investing a lot of money in the port with a very sort of commercial business-focused perspective. But we have communities around the port who are much more concerned about their ability to get to and from work in an effective manner every day and not wanting to get sort of sat at a grade and at grade crossing, waiting for a train. And we have environmental stakeholders who are passionate about the environment and want to see improvement to the environment as the absolute priority. So we have lots of different perspectives on the port, depending on where people look at us from. So we had a lot of workshops with deliberately broad sets of stakeholders, including students drawn from UBC and SFU, to really just start to try and answer a a few key questions. What could the port look like in 20 and 40 years' time? And what is good growth for the port? So from that process, we ended up defining four different visions of the future, all of them plausible, which is kind of the fundamental tenet of mm-hmm. scenario planning, but very different.
1: You brought people who were not part of the authority in to be part of this envisioning of the future. Is that right? And you incorporated Absolutely. their perspective. I mean, uh, what, what's so fascinating about that to me is that, you know, here you are an engine of economic growth, you know, with hundreds of people in the organization, and yet you brought people in who didn't have to listen to, and in some cases, I imagine who were in opposition to some ideas that you, that the poor had, and invited them to the table. Were yes, they surprised absolutely. to get that invitation?
0: Yes, there was a bit of that. Um, and I think we, we put a lot of effort into making sure that the two days process we went through was was structured in a way that allowed them to actively participate and gave them the opportunity to be part of a an open, meaningful conversation rather than just sort of just hear from us about what we thought and i think it was it was an important part of of building relationships that we've right. we continue to try and build and enhance and being perfectly honest for us it was a bit of a leap of faith it was kind of a it was a we're not quite sure how this is going to go but we think it's the right thing to do and we think it's the right way to do it and we're going to try it i it, love that courage it, it was yeah it was, a, <laughs> it was a, a, a pretty deep breath at the start of the yeah. process but having got these four different scenarios in place i think everybody could see elements of their thinking captured in one or more of them. And that was important, I guess, to to kind of to honor the input they gave to the process. So we weren't dismissing the input. We were sort of fitting it into a framework with a framework that had different possible futures. Briefly, the four possible futures we landed on were one called Rising Tide, which was kind of really continuing growth in the same sort of paradigm that we were seeing in 2010 with a strong overriding economic focus. We had one called Great Transition, which was, again, seeing continuing growth, but seeing more of a change towards a focus on environment and community as well as economic prosperity. We had one called Missed the Boat, which was, as you mm-hmm. can imagine, was sort of where we saw trade trade moving away from us because we weren't successful as a gateway in developing the ability to serve trade or just things around the world changing such that trade to Vancouver and Canada was less important. And then we had one called Local Fortress, which is one where really the sort of trade is a diminishing part of what Vancouver sees itself being. And Vancouver sort of puts up walls to, to being part of trade growth. So we had those four scenarios. And there are two of them, Local Fortress and Miss the Boat, which for us as an organization mandated to facilitate economic growth and trade, were really pretty difficult for us to relate to. So they would not be our preferred scenarios, but we recognize that there are people out there who see them as a likely or possible or desirable future. And then we had the two, the sort of the rising tide and the great transition that we saw as being scenarios that where we were successfully achieving what we're mandated to do about enabling growing trade, but doing so into potentially quite different environments. And as we thought about them, we over again a couple of years, we first started off saying that the great transition was what we think was our anticipated scenario. We did a refresh process in 2015, and we, we actually we got a bit more courageous, and we said that's actually our desired scenario. So that was, kind of the, that was a foundation to our strategic thinking that ultimately led to the process of creating the vision that we have today.
1: So you went through this process. You had the courage to bring people to the table. You envisioned multiple futures, and then you said, this is what we're going to work towards. From there, right. how did you create the vision itself. Which and I'll tell you, you know, having worked in leadership communications for almost 20 years, so many visions are mealy-mouth concoctions of gobbledygook. <laughs> you know,
0: it's
1: the world leader in creating customer value. You know? <laughs> you mean, well yep. what company is this? And so what I like is that the succinctness and and the fact that there's substance and then as we discussed earlier, you defined it. So tell me how you how did you get to that single clear sentence
0: it started with you with our environment team initially wanting to create a sustainability vision and I'm not by nature very directive but this is one of the few occasions where I said we are not going to have two vision hmm. so we're not going to have a sustainability vision as well as a corporate vision that just doesn't work so we agreed that we would come up with a sustainability definition. And we went through a process not dissimilar to the scenario planning Port 2050 process where we, we again brought stakeholders in and our internal team worked with a lot of different port stakeholders to define what sustainability for a port is. And that's where we landed on this framework of um, economic prosperity through trade, a healthy environment and thriving communities. And as we sort of started to coalesce around that definition of what a sustainable a sustainable gateway looks like, we realized that actually looking at it and looking at the great transition scenario and looking at sort of what we strive to be and aspire to be, that actually wasn't just defining sustainability, it was actually what we wanted to be best at. And so it was was kind of, it was one of these sort of, again, Lucky happenstances you would say, but I'm actually a firm subscriber to the the view that luck is ninety percent preparation and ten percent opportunity. Right. It was one of these things that sort of as we evolved through the process, we realized that well we haven't just defined sustainability. We've actually encapsulated what we need to be and want to be to be successful as an organization. And we actually aren't going to have it as a sustainability vision because we're not gonna have two visions. We're actually comfortable adopting that as the vision for the organization.
1: Wow, so you embarked and on this. This was this entirely parallel process and it yes. actually became the dominant process. I mean, was there was there a moment where someone said eureka, scrap this primary process, we actually have the port vision here. Like do you, was there was there an epiphany?
0: I think that to the extent there was an epiphany it probably happened at sort of an executive meeting when we were discussing with the team working on this sort of process to define what we mean by sustainability. We sort of looked at him and we said, well actually that really is setting out for us sort of what we're, what we're trying to achieve. So maybe, maybe along with the Damascene conversion, there has been a bit of an epiphany, who knows? But <laughs> there, there, there was certainly, there was a clear, it, it was something that started as a parallel process. With a very clear mandate not to be it was was not started out as the process to define the vision but I guess it was sort of typically through our annual strategic planning process we look at our vision statement and we sort of say does it sort of still Mm -hmm. fit and that was sort of an active process in the organisation when we had vision statements that were a bit wordier and broader and less sort of succinct we kind of grappled with the fact that none of us could really remember it and quote it if we were asked to (laughs) and so I guess that conversation was going on in parallel and we realised well hang on actually through this I mean closely related process but sort of separate process, we're much better encapsulating what well, we want to be as an organization.
1: And the lesson I take away from your story here is push for one vision for the organization and make it yes. substantive and memorable. Because if it's not, Absolutely. Like, like you look at Nike to be the number one athletic company in the world. I mean, it's it's memorable, right? So you, you create this vision. You have this epiphany. You say, we've got it. Uh, you know, let's share it with all these stakeholders and with all the, you know, from our own company to the, those who are involved in the port. How did
0: it go? Well, with hindsight, we learned a lot from it and we, would, we could do better if we were doing it again. Um, it's, it's kind of interesting. So we, we'd done this very engaging process to define the strategic framework and the sort of the, the long-term scenarios. We'd involved stakeholders again in a very thorough way to create our sustainability definition. But when we rolled out that as being our vision, we didn't do a good enough job of actually defining again, or reminding stakeholders again of what we meant by sustainability. And it comes back to your your point sort of a few moments ago where if you don't define things, people bring their own definition to them. And so, a number of stakeholders thought we'd announced a, a vision to be the most environmentally focused port in the world. I, I remember sitting around in our, our board table with a group of our terminal operators who are all, I mean, major stakeholders in the port who've been critical to its success. And this was part of a process we've been developing to try and focus on common issues that, that affect all of us, um, that we can all work on together. And one of the CEOs said, well, you've just defined your vision as being the world's greenest port. And well, we don't, don't agree with that. And we said, well, hang on, that wasn't what we defined. We defined our vision as being the world's most sustainable port when we mean this, the combination of economic prosperity through trade, healthy environment, and thriving communities. Oh, well, that's not what it sounded like. And so that really was that moment saying, well, I guess in our enthusiasm, we just overlooked some of the core principles that actually we know well about communication and engagement with stakeholders. And it's a very understandable perception for those having mean, we we live in vancouver which defines itself as has a green city agenda mm-hmm. if you look at long beach long beach defines itself as the green port and I, I don't mean in any way to diminish either of those agendas but you need to set your vision for your context but communicate it well and what we failed to communicate was just as when we started trying to define sustainability we wanted to make sure we had the right definition we tripped ourselves up at the first first hurdle on rolling that out more widely as the vision and it really was just a great reminder for me and all of my team about the importance of communicating clearly what we mean. The lesson I learned through this, this communication process and, and fundamentally our, our misstep in this, this early part of the communication process was it is really important to properly define what you mean. And we'd gone into a process to define sustainability properly when we adopted it as our vision, I think we got caught up in our enthusiasm of having defined it and knowing what we mean when we talk about it, and we forgot to actually continually repeat that to people who are less familiar with how we've defined sustainability, even if they were part of the process of coming to that definition, because it's a word that's open to misinterpretation, and it's really important for us to define what we mean by it. That's a
1: great example of how you've involved them in the process, you've created something that reflected their thinking, and yet you just kind of assume that that they'll know it, and how important it is to just be really precise yes. as you as you share it. Another question I want to ask you about as you communicate that vision to these stakeholders and to a broader audience. You know, one thing I often see in companies that we work with is, you know, the executive team goes away. You know, maybe they they hire a consultant, they create this great vision, and then the organization gets a PowerPoint presentation or a town hall, and, and it dies there. What did you do to Transfer ownership, understanding of and ownership of the vision to your entire port organization.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say that that's that's still a work in progress. Um, it's something that we have paid and are paying a lot of attention to. Firstly, having, I mean, one of the things that makes me think we've actually got a vision that is the right vision for us is the fact that we, in our town hall meetings, for example, we actually schedule the agenda items of the town hall meetings under one of the three pillars of the vision. So we if we're talking about updates to, to our financial performance, then that's fitting in economic prosperity through trade. If we're talking about updates on environmental programs that we're working on, quite clearly that's fitting in healthy environment. And if we're talking about community engagement work that we're doing or port safety issues perhaps, then we're fitting those into the sort of the thriving communities piece. So we we very intentionally align our internal communications around the pillars of our vision. Another thing that we do is whenever we talk publicly, whenever I'm presenting to an audience about the port, and I would talk about our, our vision explaining what it means. And in our presentations, we would explicitly, in a general presentation about the organization, talk about each element of the vision and work that we're doing that fits in with that element because it's it's critically important.
1: And that really ties into the fact that, you know, the creation is just the start. I mean, you're alluding to all the work ahead around communicating this vision to bring it to reality. So let's turn to that topic. What's next? I mean, here here you are, you've gone through the process, you brought stakeholders together, you created this inspiring vision. Lay out for me from a communication standpoint, what is still to be done if you look at say the next three years with respect to the
0: vision? The other thing that I like about the statement we've chosen as a vision statement, of course, is it's to be the most sustainable port in the world, which by definition, of course, is not a static goal because Mm. there are many other ports out there doing a lot of good work in the broad sustainability space. So we can benchmark ourselves against what others are doing. And given that they're always improving as well, it sets a goal that's, that's that's always going to be a challenge so it, it has the potential i think to be a vision that is is valid for a long time because it's not a static point but a, a dynamic point and so if we look at ports like long beach or like antwerp or rotterdam or hamburg those are ports that are doing a lot in the, the sustainability space defined as we've defined it being that combination of economic prosperity and healthy environment and thriving communities so we're in the process now very deliberately of defining metrics by which we will measure ourselves on the journey to become the world's most sustainable port. And that's easy to say, but actually quite hard to do. So we're investing quite a bit of time and effort into really trying to pick meaningful metrics and have the ability wherever possible to benchmark those metrics against other ports so that we can sort of measure our journey. Because at the end of the day, there's no point having a goal if you're not going to measure your progress towards it. So we're really trying to now infuse that scorecard, business performance measurement monitoring process, again, with the elements of the vision. And it's not not an an unnatural fusion, because as I say, we we do believe this vision actually reflects what we're striving to be. But it's trying to be explicit in the way we express our goals at a more detailed level in how those goals support achievement of that overall vision.
1: And that way, everything that everyone does, every role within the port, every external partner you have, they'll understand how it ties in to what you're trying to achieve. And how to measure that. So it all becomes through that exactly. lens. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And I really think that showcases you know, how leadership communication for you and for the poor as a whole is not authoritative. I mean, you have to influence all these stakeholder groups with competing interests to embrace a vision that may not be the one that they created, but which ultimately can unify them all. I mean, it's very much a you know influential rather than authoritative role. And, you know, your goal is to inspire. I mean, that's really what I see. You know, sure, there's operating port, but what you've highlighted here is how the port really has to take that leadership role and communicate in a way that creates understanding and commitment to that vision. So let me ask you, let me ask you, so thank you for taking us through this process. I want to turn a little bit to a few moments of reflection for you as you've gone on this journey to create this vision. It's a great story. And, but I know behind every successful story, there are, there are challenges. So a couple quick questions for you. What was the biggest mistake Mm. you personally made looking back during this process to create and share
0: this vision? I think it probably it's the one that that I've highlighted when we first communicated the vision to stakeholders. I mean, I should have recognized that we didn't have our communication process set up thoroughly enough to communicate successfully why the vision to be the world's most sustainable port wasn't something alien or dangerous because it was focused much more widely than just environment. It was focused on that combination I've described of those three pillars. And I, with hindsight, I, I should have spotted that.
1: Another question for you. How have you built your communication skills through this process? What would be the most significant measure of improvement that you've identified?
0: For me, it really is, I think, learning that actually the right vision statement for an organization can be a really empowering and powerful leadership statement. As I said, back at the start of this process, coming into this role, I'd not been in an organization that had really set out a really memorable vision and had it as a, sort of a core part of it with the way it describes what it is and what it strives to be. And through this process, I've actually learned by sort of, by trying and sort of going through a number of different iterations and processes and landing in a place that I think is very meaningful for us as an organization, I've learned that actually it can be a very powerful communication tool because it's, it's much more than just the statement. It's the, the statement, it's how we define it, and it's how we weave it into our communications. Um, and it's, it's not easy to get right. It takes a lot of time. I mean, it's taken us kind of nine years to get here. Mm-hmm. But when you get it right, it really is a very powerful backbone, if you like, to the way we communicate.
1: And, and that will lead me, because I hear the excitement in your voice around to my fi- final question for you, which is, what's been the most fun and enjoyable part of this process around building and sharing the vision?
0: That's a great question. I, I actually, I mean, I have very strong personal values around environmental protection and around community engagement. And we, we sit in an organization in a challenging space trying to manage this balance between economic prosperity, healthy environment, thriving communities. And it's... It's given us a way of communicating what our values really are, or given me a way of communicating what my values really are as well. I mean, but I say us because it's it's us as a a team, as the executive and as a a team, as actually the people in the, the organization at large. And I think recognizing that we not uncommonly end up sitting in the middle of controversial issues where one group or another will be accusing us of <laughs> not doing enough in one of the dimensions of that, that sustainability vision. And it's given us a way to actually communicate coherently the complexity that we grapple with and the answers are not as simple as just do more of that. Because it's actually it's sort of just do more of that in any one of those dimensions is not necessarily gonna take you Towards the best position in terms of being the most sustainable port, where you succeed in all three of those dimensions. So I think having the ability to communicate the different things that we're doing across these three different dimensions, the way they fit together, and the importance of them, is something that's actually really, really powerful. And it's a, I, I find it very invigorating. As you, hopefully, you can tell. It's sort of just being able to sort of to talk about all of the things that we do in a way that brings them together.
1: Well, it certainly does come through when, when we talk and. It's great hearing about this process. I mean, just to sum up some of the, the conclusions for listeners who, who may have to go through or may want to go through a vision process on their own. I mean, I think, as you put it, it's tremendously powerful to have a vision. It unifies so many groups, so many people, and the process of building one is as important as the end result itself. So in creating the vision, what I heard from you is be courageous. Bring people to the table who may oppose you, but who can really give you a more nuanced and meaningful picture of what the future could look like then create the vision one statement one vision and make it substantive and finally roll it out communicate it well define the terms even if you think they know it they probably don't so be clear and then to make it last make it sustainable integrate it with your business or your organizational practice would you add anything to those
0: I think that's a great summary. And the one I would add, I think, is sort of, I mean, as a as a CEO, you're not necessarily always the most patient person in the organisation or in the world. But I think to get this right, recognise it takes time. We could not have got to where we've got to today as an organisation in one or even two years. It, I think recognise that actually, the process of getting input from others takes time, assimilating that input, respecting that input, and sort of synthesising it towards that ultimate vision statement. And be patient with the fact it may even take a couple of iterations to really get it right. But don't lose the conviction that getting it right is worthwhile, even if it takes a bit of time.
1: And who knows, maybe the vision will come from an unexpected place as yours did. Thanks for joining me
0: today. Thank you. I've enjoyed the conversation.
1: I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Robin Sylvester. What I took away is just how much more powerful a vision is when you bring everyone to the table who is going to have a role to play in bringing that vision to life. I thought Robin and his leadership team showed great courage in bringing in a diverse set of stakeholders to create something collaboratively and to really embrace the process of uh, you know, having differing viewpoints uh, melded together to come up with something clear and focused that everyone can buy into. If you enjoyed this episode of the Inspire Podcast, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out on the next one. And please do rate and review the podcast so others can find us. I welcome you to connect with me on Twitter. I'm at THG underscore Bart and send me your questions on leadership communication. If I get enough questions, I'll even do a separate Q&A episode. Finally, if you want to learn more about our approach to leadership communication at the Humphrey Group, you can visit us online at thehumphreygroup.com and you'll also find a link to my book there, Leaving Through Language. Thanks for listening.